It's July 4th, 1954, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ollie, the Retrospectors. If I told you that Birmingham MP Geoffrey Lloyd publicly burned a large replica ration book at an open meeting in his constituency to celebrate the end of wartime rationing in Britain, you might reasonably guess the year was 1945 or 1946 at a push. But in fact, it was today in history in 1954, nine years after VE Day, that rationing in Britain finally came to an end with the lifting of restrictions on meat. Yeah, there had been 14 years of food rationing in the UK. I mean, at this point, actually, to be fair, it was only meat and bacon that was still being rationed. Um, So that sense that probably people had of the excitement of VE Day and the sense of having unbelievable freedom had been very tapered over a number of years. (laughs) So it's, you know, this particular moment actually probably didn't feel that liberating because it's just like, oh, you can now go and buy as many sausages as you want. But symbolically, it was huge. I mean, if you were a 35-year-old housewife who'd got married at the age of 21, you'd been economising throughout your entire marriage. Yeah, members of the London Housewives Association held a special ceremony in Trafalgar Square to mark de-rationing day uh, at the Lynn and District Grocers Association. First shout out for them on this show, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Not the last, I'm sure. They had a mock burial of ration points in a cardboard coffin. The wreath on top of the coffin formed the shape of a pair of scissors and flowers were ration points. So you had this kind of general outpouring, as you say, even though like this was just the end it was the very last of the uh things that were being rationed that were actually now being de-rationed but people were just so happy to see the back of this yeah i mean this was nine years after the end of the war and that meant that there were a whole generation of children you know anyone under the age of you know 12 or 13 would probably have a really faint memory or none at all of the war but they had only ever known rationing through their whole lives so this was a huge deal and had become a big sticking point in politics as well it was frustration with rationing and economic controls more generally that were a major driving force behind the conservatives return to power in 1951 it was it was unexpected but it was one of the major pillars of their platform even though by that point not that many items were still rationed but the principle of the thing you know a total end to rationing the country getting back on its feet end to war time restrictions that was extremely attractive by 1951 Mm. and actually you know wasn't really the fault of any particular government i mean there had been obviously an enormous amount of money spent on the war then a lot of damage to be repaired then the americans had withdrawn their financial support from britain and then there'd been a feeling of compassion towards other nations in europe who had it worse than us so some of our food supplies got sent to other countries well compassion um, and they didn't want them to become communist that was the right. other huge thing you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. true. well i mean the conservatives said indeed that it was the socialists who'd prolonged the end of rationing so long in the uk in the guise of the labor government after the war this is a quote from a conservative pamphlet from the time gone are coupons counterfoils ration periods registrations and all the paraphernalia of food office rule here at last is the victory day for housewives and i think really digging into the details of how rationing worked you get so many parallels to what happened during the covid pandemic that really 
debunk the idea that everyone in World War II pulled together and had blitz spirit mm. and these days people don't know how to do that, etc., etc. Because when you get into the nitty-gritty of how rationing operated, so many of the rules that were brought in were because of people trying to circumvent the restrictions. Mm. You know, one way to get around rationing was by eating out because, you know, there were no ration books involved there. But this caused so much resentment that the government started limiting what restaurants could serve, no more than three courses in any one sitting, of which only one could be meat, and how much they could charge. The maximum was five shillings, which is about £12 today, therefore obviously not incentivizing restaurants to offer very luxurious fare. And also this sense of we're all in it together. Well, I mean, there was a sense during the war itself that the people who were in it more than the people who were at home were the boys who were going off to fight. So, you know, I've seen testimony from servicemen saying we knew the cafes to go to where the landlady would slip a couple of eggs under our mashed potato or whatever because we turned up in uniform. So there was rationing for every woman, man and child, but it was never entirely equal. And sometimes for fair reasons, like expectant mothers uh, were entitled to more ration coupons because they had an extra mouth to feed. But if they were poor and needy, well, they could sell those coupons, couldn't they? And, you know, richer people were able to buy them. Yeah, the whole business was overseen by the Ministry of Food, which does have a sort of faintly Orwellian thing about it. It's the Ministry of Lack of Food, surely. That's what they, uh, that's the, the issue that's being dealt with there. But, um, you know, I think one of the problems that people experienced and why people wanted to cut corners was because, you know, even as food was being rationed, shortages continued to increase and you had queues getting longer and longer and the system broke down. So you could stand in line for hours and hours only to get to the front of the line and then find out that actually all the things that you were after have gone and then you just had to go home empty-handed. Yeah, I mean, I think most of us are familiar through pop culture with the concept of ration books and stamps, but I didn't know exactly how it worked, that you had to register at specific shops Mm. and they would then receive enough stock to serve their registered customers. You couldn't just pop in anywhere and flash the ration book. Yeah, and I wasn't aware just how wide the rationing went. I sort of knew it was the case for fresh food, but it involved canned and processed food as well, clothes, as you said, and in February 1942, soap. I mean, that actually, for me, I think would be the hardest one. Yeah. You know, feeling dirty. Like, it's one thing to say, okay, you have to have wholemeal bread rather than white bread, and you have to use potatoes in place of meat in a pie. But, I mean, at least you're eating. But there isn't an alternative to soap. You are dirty. Yeah, root veg was about the only thing that was unrationed and easy to get a hold of. And this was a period when carrot cake was popularised. There'd been carrot pudding since medieval times, but this was when... I wondered. Because it's... You wondered when it became popular. Yeah. Where did it come from? Rationing makes perfect sense. I presume baked beans also comes from this era. Like, I enjoy baked bean, but, you know, why? You wouldn't have liked a World War II carrot cake one bit because the cream cheese icing did not become a thing until the 1960s. So this was an un-iced carrot cake as well. It's Moist, carroty sponge, yeah. (laughs) The other thing that wasn't rationed was bread. But in response to the shortage of white flour, the bread industry, big bread, worked hand in hand with the government to flood the shelves with national loaf, a dense, mushy grey loaf that made Brits wary of brown bread for decades afterwards. I remember seeing (laughs) something on BBC Archive, you know, they share those videos. It was from the 70s and it was about brown bread becoming popular and sort of doing vox pops with people who were eating brown bread. And this apparently all stemmed from the traumatic experience of having to eat national loaf for all of those years, although it wasn't actually the wholemeal flour that made it so disgusting. It was the fact that it didn't have sugar in it for it to react with the yeast and rise. Those same sugar restrictions also resulted in weaker beer. That was also unrationed. So basically the things that weren't rationed were just really watered down and 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, the Ministry of Food messaging was kind of like, take your medicine because you're helping the country. They weren't saying it tasted better. Like, it was acknowledging that you're making a sacrifice. One of my favourite posters, I mean, they're all brilliant, aren't they? That propaganda mm. from that era and the design of it, Potato Pete and Dr. Carrot and all that. But the one I like is where it says, better potluck with Churchill today than humble pie with Hitler tomorrow. Yeah, it's, it's hard to argue guy. with that. <laughs> <laughs> and they've done a, a slice of pie in the shape of Adolf Hitler's head and they've done a, a, a stewing pot in the shape of Churchill. And it's basically saying like, you know, just get take the mystery meat and the root vegetables because that's the part to freedom don't use up all your ingredients now because look who's coming around the corner hitler yeah. I mean, it's really it's really saying just just eat what we're telling you to eat and that's how you're doing your bit yeah i mean at the same time they were trying to get particularly housewives i guess to be creative and there was this whole campaign of so-called mock recipes including they had a mock yeah. cream which was where you combine margarine and milk and corn flour and i mean that gets pretty close to cream close enough goose mock goose was lentils and breadcrumbs <laughs> i'll just live without goose yeah I mean, why are you inflicting this on me no, i do you. remember actually when i was at school we had to go away and do an evacuee day um, and they gave us <laughs> mashed parsnip on toast with banana flavouring, which was apparently how people used to consume mashed banana on toast. Another one where I'm like, I think I'll just do without till the war's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. a recipe that I saw that actually I thought looked quite appetising to the extent that I might even make it is um, sort of tin sardines wrapped in mashed potato as an alternative to fish and chips. So fish and chips mm. was hard to do. But sardines, they were from Portugal. Tin sardines and Portugal was neutral, stayed in plentiful supply. Uh, and potatoes, people were growing their own. So you'd, you'd make a mashed potato, take some tin sardines, and then sort of make a little parcel dumpling and then fry it on both sides. And apparently it has the vinegary hit of fish and chips. Yeah, no, I think I might go for humble pie with hit the thing. <laughs> Fair enough. Tomorrow. They then ordered the book themselves from the wholesaler. It arrived at their garage, then they packed it up and sent it to you. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors.